Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, your friendly neighborhood SOT. Again, uh, we want to re uh, reiterate that SOT stands for Special Occupational Tax. So obviously, we own a gun store in Garland, Texas, and I am not a self-ordained therapist, as someone uh, cleverly said that I was. Basically, in SOT, what we are is we are a Special Occupational Tax. We have a Class 3 firearms license. So again, guys, welcome to our podcast. This is now uh, Episode 8. Episode eight, um, which I've decided to bring in my father, uh, Alex Alamo. He came in from Louisiana and we decided to uh, throw him onto the podcast at a very last minute game time decision. This is very going to be a, a sort of shoot from the hip uh, style episode with us uh, in our seventh, I'm sorry, eighth episode of uh, our podcast entitled <clears throat> Cheap Therapy. So without further ado, um, Alex Alamo. Dad, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello? Yeah, your mic's on. Yeah, unfortunately, I am his father. Actually, we even went on Jerry Springer and he confirmed confirmed all that. So we 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 good to go. But yeah, we just came in from Louisiana for a couple of days to visit uh, with my son, family, and the grandkids, and uh, had a good time here. And uh, just last minute, he just throws me a microphone and said we need to uh, do a little podcast. So. Um, so it's, we are. It's, yeah, so let's it's, go. Been a, it's been a couple of days since I recorded an episode, and I, I need to get another episode uh, up and ready. So uh, I decided to bring my dad in. <clears throat> so uh, just to kind of, you know, uh, give you guys a little bit of backstory on me and my father's relationship. Uh, so basically, other than Janae, my dad is probably my biggest uh, confidant and supporter. I get a lot of advice from my dad uh, when when I first decided to open my own business uh, here in Garland. Um, like I said, other than my wife and a couple of really close mentors in the industry, I really, I really spoke to my dad a lot and he gave me a lot of really sound advice. And my dad is kind of where I get that sort of entrepreneurial spirit from because my dad did own his own business at a, a at a very young age, which is a big reason why I decided to to bring him onto the podcast to kind of talk about that that journey from where he first started when he was a very young young man to where he is now. He actually uh, just recently retired. But, uh, you know, About two years. Yeah. So just recently retired a couple of years ago. He's been enjoying uh, the retirement that he that he worked so hard for. So we'll talk about his sort of journey from where he began as an entrepreneur, uh, why he decided to leave uh, his own personal business and start a career with State Farm and all that other stuff. So we'll kind of talk about that. But the first question that I have for you, Dad is, uh, you know, basically you graduated high school. What made you sort of pursue a career in in uh, automotive and, you know, body repair and all that other stuff? Well, I always had a, a deep interest in, in cars, even as a child. Um, used to play in the yard with cars and used to build um, model cars by a, a box. So <clears throat> it's pretty evident that I had an interest in cars since a very young age, even as a child. So probably my maybe a sophomore, junior year in, in high school. So after my junior year, in, uh, back then it was called Career Center. And basically a lot of these is uh, a lot of some, some technical career options we had back then. Uh, people that were going into agriculture, welding, automotive repair, whether it be body repair or uh, automotive engine repair or whatnot. Those are some of the options we had. And I think probably when I was a, a junior in high school, I'd kind of pretty much had made up my mind that I, I was not wanting or willing to go to a four-year uh, college. I just wanted to go to work. And I don't know, I just did not want to wait four years to get a job. 
Uh, so uh, during my senior year in high school, I got a job offer working for a, uh, a company that installed floors and did plumbing. And I said, man, that's, that's kind of good. Because I'll tell you this. One thing my dad taught me at a very, very early age, and I would say uh, probably 12 or 13 years old, i never forget this, advice my dad gave me. And he said, son, he said, you need to learn a trade uh, using your hands. And he said, I guarantee you, you learn a trade using your hands, it'll never be lost. Whether you do that for a career or not, you'll always have something to fall back on. And I never forget those words. So I worked about a year with him as apprenticeship and um, he wanted me to continue doing that. And as it got closer to my graduation, I just wasn't really sure. And again, probably most 17 year olds are probably in the same position I was. I mean, you know, we want to call us young men, but we're, we were kids with a lot of vision, a lot of ambition, a lot of goals and dreams, but really not sure uh, which way to go. And um, out of the blue, I got a card uh, in the mail, a postcard from Nashville Auto Diesel College. And I looked at the cover of this uh, on this thing, and uh, it was a guy painting a car. And I said, man, that looks kind of cool. I might want to do that. So I called my dad, and he, he repeated the same thing he told me at age 12. That would be a good trade to learn. If you want to go, go for it. So at 17 years old, I headed to Nashville, Tennessee. Many local people, friends and family told me that I would probably be back in two or three months. There's no way I would stay there for a year. Um, too far from home, never left home before. And anyway, I went there a year. It happened actually to be one of the best years of my life. A lot of freedom, of course, but most importantly, um, it gave me a year to really grow up. Uh, I was on my own, had to make decisions on my own, and I was 600 miles from home. So pretty much it was just me. So when I graduated from there, I came back home to Louisiana and got a job at a dealership working in uh, in, in the body shop at a dealership. So before we, before we talk about your transition from school to your first like job uh how much how much was the school back then because for the year <clears throat> and that included like room board and everything right yeah annual tuition back then was about uh ten thousand a year and if you want to compare that to today it's right about a hundred yeah i mean it's about a hundred thousand today because yeah. i had a friend of mine that came to me a couple of years ago and uh, asked me about the school and by the way, I mean, the school is much improved now than it was. I mean, I was there in 1976, 77, and a lot has changed, of course, since then with technology and, and equipment. But uh, he told me it was like $94,000. I said, well, how long is the school? He said, we're well, still 12 months. So, yes, a lot has changed in technology, but a so lot has changed. How would you pay for it back then? My dad paid for my school. And what I did is when I got there, I, I, uh, I worked from the first day I was there. We had a little, actually the school kind of helped you, help the students get employment. So basically my, my dad paid my tuition and all my um, spending money, food and, and everything else was up to me. Right. So basically the, the jobs that I worked after school, you know, paid for all my, um, uh, I mean, of course my weekend money, we have to have that. Yeah. But you know, my food. And uh, so, yeah, my dad really, uh, 
you know, helped me a lot with that. And, you know, he, he, paid, he paid that. And what I made, um, matter of fact, my first job I got was at a Winn-Dixie and uh, a stock boy. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, I didn't think it was much. But again, it's another trade and stuff that I, that I learned working there and uh, met a lot of people at the time, but also helped me grow up and be responsible because I had to answer to other people for yeah. the first time in my life on a job. Which it's funny because it, <clears throat> I, 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 always, I mean, I, I went to college and I think that <clears throat> majority of my time in college, I think was useless. You know, all the time you spend your undergrad and, you know, all that other stuff. It's, it's not actually courses that I'm, like, learning, like, for what I want to go to college for, right? So, I mean, obviously, I went to school for business and human resources and all that other stuff. But the amount of courses, the bullshit courses that you have to take, a little filler classes, are pretty pointless. Like, why do I need to learn about geology? You know, like, why do I need to learn about psychology and, and all this other shit? I should be learning about accounting and and you know marketing and business management human resources like these are the things that i should be learning that and i think for you to go to a one-year course that's just solely like for your profession a lot of on-the-job training like i would rather pay the same amount that i paid over a four-year span at college which is about sixty-five thousand dollars for my degree i would rather spend that 65 grand in one year and learn everything that I need to know in that one year, as opposed to just learning all this, this bullshit filler stuff, you know? So I think, I think like going to a, a, you know, a school, a specialized school where you actually learn a trade, even if you have to pay an arm and a leg for it, I think it's worth it because one, like, cause you're saying, you know, today it'd be $94,000, but you can't really look at it as saying 94,000, like, oh, it would cost me $94,000 to get all the education that I need to perform this job. But it's also saving you three years of your life. And like, you can't put, you can't put a dollar in a long time, you know? And I think that's, that's really important, especially when it comes to, you know, trade schools and things like that. Well, that's yeah, not a lot of things that people, that's, that's something that people tend to overlook. But one thing too, I mean, I'm, I was making money on month 13. Right. So after one year, you know, my first month, I got a paycheck. We're going to a four-year college. I have to wait four years to get my first paycheck. And that's something that a lot of people tend to, you know, undervalue is, okay, so not only are you saving time, right? I'm still in college. I'm a, a sophomore in college, still taking BS courses, you know, working for $8 an hour on the weekends to make spending money when you're earning a livable wage, you know, yet, you know, if you don't have the money, you obviously incurred a little bit more debt, a little bit faster. But first off, you're going to start paying off that debt a lot sooner. And that, like I said, that's something that a lot of people tend to over uh, overlook and undervalue is the amount of time that you're saving by going to a specialized school or just something where you learn on the job training from the get go. You know, like in the oil field. I mean, there's no schooling. You just get out there and swing a hammer and turn a pipe wrench. And but you're <clears> earning a livable wage day one. And that, that's something that, uh, you know, as Americans, they kind of, you know, don't really look at is that, you know, the ability to earn money faster, pay off debt faster and start living your life sooner. Yeah, because, you know, when I, when, when I left to go to school, I mean, it's, I knew it was a 12 month course and actually I doubled up and actually finished it like in 10 and a half because I went to you know, night school for, you know, for a little bit. 
So I went to day school and night school. And my whole thing is, is that I had a job lined up and uh, they told me I could start whenever I finished school. So, uh, I mean, I was eager to finish school because I knew that as soon as I finished, I mean, I was going to work and I'd make some money because um, what I was doing, yeah, I had money to pay for, you know, little you know, incidentals and, and food and stuff. But I mean, I wanted a, a little bit more than that. I mean, I, I've, I've always been a person that, like my dad said, is, is I'm, I'm a go-getter. You know, I'm not lazy. I just want to go get it. If it's there, I'm going for it. And when I got a call that I had a job, I still had like three months left of school. And the only thing on my mind was, is that how could I get out of here quicker to right. go and start work and make money? So, uh, so I did finish a little early and got and got to work. And uh, that first paycheck is exciting. Yeah. So take me through the process of, you know, you, you obviously graduated your, your, your schooling, uh, and then you obviously step on deck to your job day one. Uh, how much were you making? How much were you making as a body man fresh out of school back in the seventies? Well, I mean, I thought, I thought I was making good money. And what year did you graduate school? Uh, I graduated in Nashville in 1977. So in 77, what was the going rate for body work? Well, I was getting $2 and 50 cents an hour. And I mean, I, I thought I was, li you know, living large. So I went to Young Chevrolet Monday, yesterday, right, to drop off Janae's car, and they have a board that has like the hourly rates. <clears throat> going rate, going rate right now for body work is one hundred twenty-five dollars an hour. One twenty-five, which I feel like is very high, but one twenty-five an hour, and you were making two two dollars and fifty cents. So I started, and when I went at two dollars and fifty cents, I mean I was okay with that because it was that was a going rate for, for 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 pay. But I was there like three or four months, and I requested a raise, <laughs> and uh, the service manager laughed, and he said, uh, "I mean you've only been here three months." I said I understand that, but I, I think I deserve a raise. So they they brought it up to the uh, manager of the dealership. And they came back and said, we have good news for you. They got me a raise, and it was $2.55 an hour. Alex, look up $10,000 divided by $2.55. So if you're making two fifty-five an hour pre-tax, <coughs> let's see how long it would have taken you to pay back. Like, let's say if you had taken out a loan with no interest, no interest, you would have had to work 4,000 hours, 4,000 hours. Divide that, uh, divide that by 40. So a hundred full weeks. So that's two years, two years of living expense-free. <clears throat> expense-free, no expenses at all. 100% of what you're making, pre-tax. It would have taken you two years to pay off your school, which is pretty shit. Well, it was, and um, I was... I was more angry than disappointed uh, with a nickel raise Naturally, because uh, I was the only painter at the dealership. And really, I mean, I was, I was giving it my all. And uh, so I told him that I wanted, I know it, I know today it doesn't sound like a lot, but I demanded $3 and 50 cents an hour or I was going to, to, to leave. The answer that I got is nobody at the dealership in the service department makes three fifty an hour. And then my response to that was, I'm not really concerned with what anybody else is making. I want to make 350 an hour. Mm -hmm. 
And they said, well, we can't do that. We have people that's been here five years and don't make that. So long story short, moving on to the next chapter of my life, uh, I left and opened up my own business. So how long did you work for them before you decided to start your own shop? Six months. So you had six months. You had six months of actual on-the-job experience. And you were like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to I wanna open my own gig. Exactly. Six months. That's and right. you think that was enough? Probably not. Um, I was trying to learn as, as fast as I can. I'm going to tell you, and this is probably true in all professions. Uh, I don't care if you go to a four-year college or not. You don't walk out of, of, of college and get your degree and know everything you not need to know all. about your profession. Not at all. And, it, and it's the same with us. Um, you know, I got out of school and basically, you know, they're going to teach me the basics, which I had the basics on the job training is something it's hard to replace. Right. Um, and I mean, I learned new ways to do things, different ways to do things, uh, correct ways to do things, wrong ways to do things. And, um, so the biggest question is, do you think you learn more in the year at school or the six months working at the shop? Six months working at the shop. And that's something that not many people are willing to admit. Because they don't want to admit that an investment that they made right. isn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And like I've learned more. So there's one class that I took at UL. One single solitary class that I credit a lot of my beginning success to. <clears throat> and that was with Mr. C. and Robinson. And it was basically business fundamentals. We learned how to create a business plan. And I think just that, that, and it, granted, this was a, this was a, this is a night class. So I was there for three hours a week, uh, one night. I was there for one day a week for that class. And I probably learned more in that one class about starting and running my own business than I did in all the other courses. Now, granted, accounting is extremely important. Marketing is extremely important. You know, things like, you know, like your specific niches in business are extremely important. But learning your actual trade and how to run a business is exponentially more important. And there's not many people that are willing to admit like, oh, yes, I wasted. I wasted this money. I wasted this time. You know, so not many people are willing to admit that six months of on the job, like actual doing my job is more valuable than going to a school and getting a certification for a year. Yeah, not again, I'll say this, that I'm not saying that the entire year it was a waste. Right. But I'll you learn, learn more learn six something. months. I learned enough to get a job, I guess. But I mean, even even now that on the job training, it's, it's, uh, it's so valuable that I'm learning from people that have been around a long time. As a matter of fact, you know, the, 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 the gentleman that was in the shop, it was only a one man at the time working in the shop that I worked with. And he taught me a lot. And, I, and, I, and in the six months, I learned a lot from him. But at, I'm going to tell you this, at the same time, the six months that he learned a lot from me because of you know the new technology and new changes that were coming around that he wasn't exposed to right. that I was at school. Um, so, you know, we learned from both, we learned from each other, I guess, you know, from his, his old days school, um, schooling or, or experience. And I'm bringing to him, wait a minute. Um, you know, we don't do this anymore. We do this. We don't use that anymore. We use this in different materials and so forth. So he gained a, a lot as well. But, you know, when I made my decision to, to part, um, and I know we talked about it earlier, it, it wasn't just about the hourly salary. It, it was a lot more than that. I just, I always had ambitions about working for myself. 
and I, I was seeing things there like at the dealership that I wanted to do, to do differently, but I didn't have the authority to do it. Right. I tried to make some changes and I said, look, why don't we do this and do that? And they said, no, 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 no. That's, that's not, we're not going to do it. Look, you're a young buck, you know. So, I mean, and, 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 I mean, look, I, mean, you, you gotta remember, I was 18 years old, you know, when I, when I was uh, working there. So not like I had a whole lot of authority. I'm a three, at the time, a three-month employee. I left after six months, but and I'm just trying to, I guess at the time, what I was trying to impose is, is what I learned and saw at school, you know, how things are done equipment-wise and, and, and with the technology and all. And some people are kind of, we use, you know, we say hard-headed in South Louisiana, but in, in French, it's Ted Deux, they got a hard head. They just, some people just totally oppose change. It's always been this way and it'll stay that way. And that was one thing that I struggled with, uh, you know, like when I moved to Texas and I worked at the ranch, I had all these crazy ideas that I knew for a fact worked, right? I have all this real world experience, you know, working in the oil field, working in construction, working at, you know, a, a, you know, a very large successful campground, working for Caleb at a gun store and then coming to Texas and bringing all this experience. I have so many ideas. I have so many cool things that I know for a fact can work, but no one's willing to run with your own ideas like you are, right? And that was one thing that I struggled with because it's like, man, I know what I'm talking about. I know this can work, but at the end of the day, it's not my business, you know? So obviously, you know, they, they don't care about it as much as, as, as I do because it's my idea. And uh, that was one thing that I really struggled with. And that's what drove me to start my own personal business because it's like, man, you know, like for the first time in my life, I want to be control of my own destiny. You know, if, if my idea sucks, you know, I want to be the one to blame for it. And I'm going to be the one that's going to run with it if it's successful, right? Because you give a, a crazy good idea to your boss and they run with it. And if it works, who's going to take the glory? your boss. Whereas if it's a shit idea and it doesn't work, who's going to get shit canned? You will. Right. So that's something that, you know, drives, I think a lot of people towards <clears throat> entrepreneurship, or at least thinking more about entrepreneurship is the fact that I'm, I'm going to be in charge of my own ideas. They're my own intellectual property. And then that way, if they're successful, I'm going to be the one to reap the benefits. You know, and, and leaving for some people is, is uh, I guess, like a no brainer, I guess. But I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of anxiety and fear. You know, well, when, you, uncertain. You're uncertain. when I'm well, stepping away from a guaranteed paycheck of about probably 80 bucks a week or whatever, well, I don't know. But stepping out and saying, you know what, I can do this. But I'm going to tell you, uh, there's a lot of fear in it. Um, you pull out a you know, calculator, you start doing this, you know, how much I got to make a week and, right. and all this to pay the bills and the mortgage. You so know. let's say uh, you were, so you were... 18 when you graduated your school yes and you were 19, 18 or 19 when you when you left right no, i left to go to school i was 17 and then so you graduated at 18, 18. you went work and then six months later you left yeah. to start your own business so let's start off from there so you you left to start your own gig with six months of real world experience <clears throat> how was that you know getting the money together to you know, to build your shop and, you know, start, you know, I guess, marketing for your business. How, how was that back in 1978? Well, first thing I did, I, I talked to with my dad mm -hmm. and uh, told him what I, want, I wanted to do. And he was 100% behind me, you know. Um, of course, I explained to him, you know, my last six months and stuff. And 
what I envisioned. It could be. And he said, you know, I believe in you, son. If that's what you want to do, go. And uh, we went to the bank. I need to make a loan at the bank. And, of course, I didn't have the credit to do it. And they said, well, you know, we can give you the money. Uh, but, you know, you probably going to need a co-signer mm-hmm. to do it. And, my, of course, my dad said, well, if that's, you know, he needs a co-signer, I'll do it. But it was my loan. Right. I mean, my loan, my note. So how, how much was the loan for? The loan was $15,000. Yeah. To build the uh, build, shop. build the shop. Like the one that's right. at near Stevie's yeah. house now. That was the whole thing? Yeah. Well, so you uh, have what, like, I guess technically like three bays and the, well, two bays in the paint. Yeah, at the time it was, th- it was a three, uh, a, a spray booth and two bays and it went lower later or like, or like a five, five car. But so 15 grand for all that. Yeah, for the building. Well, already, we already had the property. So right. this is just to put up a metal building in 1977. So it was an unsecured loan, I guess? Like he didn't put up his no. properties collateral. He just co-signed for it. Yeah, he just co-signed for it. So at $15,000, how long was the life of the loan? I don't remember the, the, the length of it, but I know it was $200 a month. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, when, earlier when I was laughing, you're kind of joking with it, when I put a calculator together, I said, okay, how many hours I got to get in this thing to get $200, you know, to pay the note, you know? Right. But, you know, you were, we talked about $2.50 of what I was making at a dealership. The rate at the time was uh, $18 an hour for body work. So when I say I'm stepping out, I mean, I'm stepping out from them paying me, you know, two fifty five after their to potentially generous make 18, raise. Right. Uh, to make 18. Now I said, look, I mean, on my own, I can make 18 bucks an hour. So, right. I mean, I looked at it as a no-brainer, uh, too. So I said, you know, and again, doing the math, I said, you know, look, five or six hours a month, you know, I can pay the bill. You know, so... Um, I went forward and again, very nerve wracking, uh, had to build a clientele, you know, from nothing. And I understand people, uh, a 19 year old kid. I mean, do you trust that with your car? You know? Uh, so it, 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 it took a while to build a clientele, but once it was, it was rock and rolling. Right. So 200 bucks a month. That was my note. Yeah. I wish that was my. But I mean, yeah, I mean, look. What you, other overhead did you have? Like, what other bills did you have besides the note? You know, I mean, your electricity. How much was that a month? Yeah. Well, at the time, I mean, I don't remember what the the utilities were, but I mean, if I had to guess, probably forty or fifty bucks. I don't know. You know it couldn't have been that much. Wow. That's of course, you know, materials and parts are paid by by the customer. Right. You know, uh, I mean, you have some insurances and so well, forth. Well, so fifteen thousand dollars for the building. That's just for the building. So then, I mean, obviously, you need compressors, tools. Right. Uh, yeah, and that that, that paint. I paid out, you know, myself. Right. Um, and But I don't think that was a whole lot of three or 4,000, if I, if I had to guess. I mean, again, you're talking 50 years ago, so. Yeah, but I mean, even, even now, I feel like starting to do that type of work. I mean, you get a DA sander, you know. Yeah, uh, but to start off. And yeah. a compressor and. The, the heater and you know your fans and you know ventilation system for your paint booth and all that other stuff so i mean i feel like it couldn't be terribly much higher than it is today but so so fifteen thousand dollars 200 bucks a month starting off to take over the world so i mean was marketing a thing back then i mean how do you spread word what, I mean, did you buy radio ads what, what no was... social media back then of course uh we didn't even have cell phones so it's really just all word of mouth mm-hmm. and um, small, very small community. So, you know, word gets out pretty quick. 
whether they be positive or negative. So you had to make sure that the word that got out was positive, um, because negative word, word um, in a but small community. Like can you hurt. say that the no social media thing that that's a blessing and a curse. You know, it it's, could be. It, yeah. I mean, you in today's day and age, you, you get you know one thing wrong, or mm -hmm. you know, it, it, cancel culture, and you know, you get one shit review. If Reviews. You only, if yeah. you only if you only have six six reviews and one of them is a shit review i mean that goes from a five star to a 4.1 or 4.2 which is a lot different in the eyes of a consumer so so moving forward from that you know talking about your overall expenses and everything like that how long did it take you to pay off the loan Fifteen thousand. well actually that's an interesting question because i'm going to share this with you is still not paid at 19 years old didn't really know anything about business mm -hmm. and um I mean, looking back, uh, it's kind of stupid now because now with finances, uh, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty wise now with money. At the time, I was not. I didn't know anything about money. I just knew that making money was cool. And uh, when, you, when you make good money, you can buy things. And uh, that was my goal. And I was doing pretty good buying things. Um, and I, I think it's like two years or something, maybe um, – the guy at the bank called me. Like we have a little meeting and you know uh, go over the loan. And I never forget this. He asked me. He said, "Do you wanna, do you wanna pay more on the on the note?" I said, "Oh no." I said, 200 dollars a month is great. I mean, I'm good. I'm good with that." What I didn't know is is that interest. Um, the interest. You see, again, it just just didn't understand. You know, all about you know loans and mortgages right. and money. Uh, and how much money you'd save if you spent two fifty a month? And and, and and I actually I do not remember him, and maybe it wasn't his job, but explaining to me, look, if you did this and you know, paid three hundred a month, you shortened the loan to this or whatever right. the case may be. You would save this much money in interest. And what I did not also know that it was a balloon payment, so my interest was changing, the mm -hmm. rate was changing. I did not know that. I didn't understand any of that, at, you know, at that age. And I don't remember it ever being explained to me that, you know, if you keep paying this at $200, you know, it's, it's, it could take you for eternity, whatever. Right. But long story short, we paid it in 10. It was a 15-year loan, if I remember, if I remember that right. But it took you like five years or something before we realized that, oh, wait a minute, I mean, this is this is crazy. Yeah. And why don't I pay five hundred a month? You know, because we could have, afford I could afford it. it. Right. But I, at the time, I was just saying, why would I want to give you five hundred when I can only give you two? Right. You know, and the results would be the same, but the results were not the same. So you know, you you learn a lot, you know, going through business. Um, and I mean, of course, if I if some things I would know, if I would have known then that I know now, I mean, of course, things would have been done a lot differently. But I guess that's part of growing up, you know, part of gaining wisdom. Right. So one thing that I really wanted to talk to you, uh, and this will probably be the longest, I guess, section of the episode, <laughs> is not really your, your your trek into business, but rather out of business, and which is something that not a lot of people ever even want to entertain. Because obviously you don't <clears throat> go into business with the plans of, of, of being forcibly you know, removed from that, right? We obviously, if, if I'm an entrepreneur, I want to be an entrepreneur for life or until I decide to sell and I want to walk out on my own. 
And, you know, a lot of people are forced out of business, whether it be for financial parts, which yours was not that, um, you know, obviously you had to, you know, remove yourself for health reasons, but take, take us through, take us through the, the aspect, how old you were at, at, and at what time in your life, uh, you know, the basically the doctor sits you down to talk about that. You know, like, I, you know, I started out again at 19, uh, but I mean, I was painting since I was really 17 you know, mm. from school so it's about four years and uh and like i said you know the money side out rocking and rolling you know driving bmws and stuff i mean i uh, just living the life it's all good one afternoon we we're after I, I just did a um a complete paint job i never forget this car is a oldsmobile toronado um some of y'all that uh, before your time a toronado was about the length of a school bus uh, you know, and, um, and I walked out of the spray booth and we were talking and I ran out of breath. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, I mean, I couldn't even finish talking cause I just ran out of air. Anybody that knows me knows that when I start talking, I can go on for days. So right away it's like I was talking and it just, I had to stop, take a deep breath and get more air to finish, finish. I don't know if I forget my dad was, my dad and my brother were there and they asked me if, if I was all right. I said, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Probably about a couple of months went by and the pattern was still there. And one day we were outside laughing. And when I started laughing, it became like a wheeze. Mm -hmm. Like my windpipes were just tight and I couldn't breathe. Started getting headaches, you know, real bad headaches. So I changed the mask. My dad said, look, I don't care what it costs. I want you to go and buy you. A good mask, whatever it costs, get it. And I'll pay for it if you, you know, if you can't, whatever. So I changed mask and stuff, and it's still, I was still having effects to painting and whatever. So I went to see a doctor. Now, as a as a as a child, I always had I had respiratory issues as a child. Now, I'm not saying I had anything to do with it, but it, it it could. But I had respiratory problems as a child. So discussing this with the with the physician is this is it. Uh, telling what was going on. Uh, there's chemicals in, in, in paint today that um, we didn't have, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. But when we started with clear coats and stuff, there's a, it's called catalysts and stuff that are in the paint. And um, it's, a, it's a very dangerous chemical. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's really just, it's not a healthy environment to be in, you know, without proper equipment. But the doctor gave me pretty much uh, two options. He knew how much I loved what I was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, I'll see the passion that you have for what you're doing. But he said, and, and, and this is his words exactly as I remember them. You know, the doctor came and what he told me is that, uh, Alex, I'm going to put it to you this way. If you continue this, where do you see yourself when you're 40 and 50 years old, health-wise? He said, I think you need to make a decision. And this is this. Do you want to continue what you're doing? And when you're 50 years old, see where your health would be? And he said, I don't see it being positive. Or you can make a career change. And I told him I did not want to make a career change. So he says, you have no problem dying as a young man. I never forget those words with him telling me that. So I went back and there was three of us in the shop at the time, my brother and we had a, a another tech working with us. And I went back and told my brother that. I said, but I don't want to leave the shop. 
Now, I know there were some options I could have done to step back and just run the shop and let somebody else paint and do, and, and, and do the work. But that's not who I was then and, and still not who I am today. If it's going to be done, I want to do it my, my, my way my, and myself. So stepping forward, uh, probably about a year. I'll stay there about, a, if I had to guess, about another year uh, before I made probably one of the biggest decisions of my career. I went and I applied for a job working for an insurance company at State Farm Insurance. They pretty much, they, they hired me on the spot with my background. And, and as my career continued in State Farm, of course, I've held you know, several positions you know, within the company and uh, retired after 38 years with State Farm. <clears throat> now, you know, when you ask, you know, why I'd make the change, of course, health is one of the reasons. But as I look back, uh, and there's also a lot of benefits that I had and, and that were offered in a career, you know, with a major corporation. Of course, you know, pensions, uh, health insurance, your benefits that come with it, paid vacation. You know, the thing is, working for yourself is, uh, and it is great. I mean, and, uh, and it was hard to walk away from, but you have benefits in other places that you may not have working for yourself. So it's, it's uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's a balance of things. For example, when I worked for myself and I went on vacation, I did not get paid. If I took a week or two off to go on a trip, I'm not there, I do not get paid. So working for State Farm, of course, when I went on a, a week or two week vacation or whatever, the check was still there and kept rolling. But the, the, the benefits are there. And uh, as I stated earlier that I retired uh, about two years ago, you know, with a pension. Uh, so, now, but why not, why not do both? Why couldn't you have kept the shop open and work for State Farm? I could have, and actually, actually, the shop the, the shop did stay open for mm -hmm. about four years. Uh, my brother took it over, mm -hmm. and he just ran the shop. But I basically, is what I wanted to do is I didn't want to own the shop, and basically, he'd be almost like an employee there. I didn't think it was fair to him because he'd have all the responsibility uh, of, of, of making it run. And uh, so basically I just turned the shop over to my brother mm -hmm. and it's his to do whatever he wanted with, but he ran that for, for uh, four years. What happened is, is that uh, he talked, he was talking to me one day about doing what I was doing. Some of the same reasons because, uh, you know, working with a pen and a computer, sometimes it's kind of attractive to those that are out there, you know, in the, in a shop, uh, battling it every day, you know, uh, because I'm going to tell you, when you're working in a, in a shop, and again, it's not just about painting. It's, um, it, it, it's, a, t it's a tough occupation uh, on your back, your knees, the dust, the fumes. I mean, it, 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 it is. It, it's it's an occupation that pays well, but you're, you're also paying a price as well. And again, when you you know you're 20 years old, 25 years old, say so look, I'm I'm young, I'm a young buck. I got this. This is nothing, but I'll I still go back to what the doctor's words to me is. Okay, but how about when you're 40 and 50? So the the paint back then was a lot more volatile, I assume. You know the chemicals in the paint and the clear coat and all that other stuff. It obviously wasn't as good for you as it is you know, today now. So my question is with all the new, you know, EPA regulations, mm -hmm. and obviously <clears throat> PPE, you know, is a thing. Ventilation is extremely important mm -hmm. now when it comes to paint and body, you know, paint in general. Um, 
Do you think you would, you know, like, let's say if, if you were, you know, 20 something years old today, starting a business, do you think that a 20 something year old starting their own body shop in that today in 2022 would face that same decision you think in five years? Well, not, not if he's probably properly financed and equipped. Mm -hmm. you look, look, today, the, even like the, the matter of fact, the, the spray boots of today, uh, I mean, they're, they're elite. I mean, they're, they, um, they, they function so much better than what we had back in the 70s and 80s. Right. Uh, of course, today, most shops, I mean, most good shops are going to have downdraft booths, which means basically is the, the, the spray, when you're spraying, goes down to the floor, not even up to, toward the painter. So you don't, I mean, and you're wearing better masks as well. Right. But the ventilation <clears throat> is so much better today than it was then. So, yeah, if you're properly equipped, with the proper, you know, proper mask and, and, and ventilation, then no, it's it's really not as bad as it was. Damn. So the young bucks have a bit of a leg up on you. Then. Well, young bucks think that they basically is um, we're motor. We, we're here forever, and we you know we can withstand everything. Right. But one day they become like me, old and gray, and um, body starts giving out. Your back hurts. Your knees hurt. Um, and it comes it comes a point where we all have to face it, and you know, um, we're talking about when I turned the shop over to my brother and four years after and I left, then he came and joined uh, me at State Forum. And as a matter of fact, fast forward 35 years, uh, my brother retires in January after 35 years uh, with State Forum. So, um, and then now you paint on the side. Huh? And then now you paint on the side. Yeah, well. That's poetic, Justin. Well, you say now I'm painting on the side. I'm going to go back to a statement I started with. But my dad said, you learn a trade that you can do with your hands and you can always fall back on it. So true. And I go back before that, uh, when I worked for a plumber and a, and a floor installer, I still use those trades today. And yes, the, the painting and the body work is something that, yes, when I left the shop, I wasn't doing it in the shop, but it's not like I lost the skills. The skills stayed with me. So let's talk about that skill set for a second, because now, you know, like body body men now are, I guess, considered more of a parts changer than an actual body man. Let's take the recent project that you just worked on, right, for that Dodge. Mm -hmm. How many shops said that the part needed to be changed? He said he went to four shops and they all said he needed, the part needed to be replaced. But then you obviously fixed it. I did. So, so is that a different like a regime change or is that like a sort of methodology cost effective? Well, I'll say? put it, I'll put it this way that, and this is true across the country, true body techs are a dying breed. Uh, they are there. It's in, it's in such high demand across the country. Shops are posting all the time, giving bonuses and everything to come in. Um, there's a lot of money to be made. It's a great trade. Well, I have young Chevrolet, when I went yesterday to drop off Janae's car, they had three no-shows for a job opening mm -hmm. for a body shop technician. Well, and, and some of them, the question you ask is, you know, poor changers in, in, a, in a true body tech. Uh, you know, they're just like the same thing with, with, with uh, painters. We say in, in our industry, we, we say uh, there are sprayers and there are painters. You know, anybody can pick up a paint gun and spray it, but a painter is a little different. He has to make it look like it needs to look. Right. Uh, he needs to match it. He needs to blend it and whatnot. But on 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 body techs today, 
Porsche changers, there's there's different reasons why Porsche changers are, are, are in place. Uh, for example, sometimes if on, on a you replacing a port, there's also it could be an eight hundred dollar port, where where the shop may, of course makes percentage on the parts and he makes on the labor as well. And it could be that it's it's he doesn't have the skill set to, to repair it. I mean, this could be a combination of, of, of both. But 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 today a lot of them are more lean to just replacing parts, and uh, we see that more and more from from old school that uh, we used to just have to fix more. And today they say, look, it's a lot easier just to replace things. But the industry is definitely changing. Uh, it, it, look, I'm going to tell you this. It's, uh, it's an industry that I, I, love. Uh, I love. I love the work. I love the people in the industry. And I think sometimes they get a raw deal. Um, you know, as a body man or a painter, you know, he, he's just a body man or whatnot. Um, it's it's a, some of them that we look at is almost like you're a magician magician with your your hands and what you can do uh to, to make some of these cars and, and to restore some of these cars so you know i, I give a um uh, a shout out to all those out there in the shops you know fighting this uh fighting it out and trying to get these cars repaired properly because uh and and, and people that are looking for a trade and again i'm, I'm gonna say this it's a great trade if you if, if you want to make some money. The demand is high, extremely high across the country. If it's something that you have a desire to do, I'm telling you that if it's really something you want to do and want to learn, it's out there and, and you can make a great living doing it. All right. So um, basically, the, the biggest thing um, that I really want to thank you for talking about is you know the decision to walk away, <clears throat> which, like I said previously, is something that no one wants to educate that decision right everyone wants to go through life as an entrepreneur and expect to make it and people walk away from business for different reasons you know whether it be for family or for health or for finances is probably the biggest one uh health is probably the least right because there's not many obviously you know entrepreneurial journeys that really take a toll on one's health uh, unless you're obviously in some sort of hazardous environment like you were in. So that's a pretty intriguing, uh, intriguing thing. So one thing that I always really like to, to ask, you know, people who own or have owned their own business is what's one decision that you made uh, that you 100% regret? What is a one business decision that you made that you were like, yeah, that was, that was wrong. You know, I really regret that. What was one decision that you made that you regret? I'm not saying that uh, the decision was wrong. I'm just saying that what I wish I'd have done is when I first started is to go all out. Mm -hmm. What kept, well, I think what kept me from that is just fear because I knew what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and it was a lot bigger than what I did. It just, it's a bigger step than I think I was willing to take. Right. You don't um, want to risk. You don't want you know, to risk the that. Well, look, like you you well, mentioned, too, but I mean, it was your dad's money too that you were risking, right? So I mean, no, that's a bank. You wanted to be well, but I mean, your dad yeah. had to co-sign for yeah. it, so you didn't want to risk him yeah. and his house and you know his 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 job and his security and all those. But I, I think I think when I say that uh, mistake or something is uh, is listening to listening to too many naysayers. Of course, at 19 years old, I'm listening to everybody. You know. You know, there were a lot of naysayers out there like, uh, man, you crazy, you crazy. I mean, you know, you're, you're not going to make it. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, 
it's a lot of money, it's a lot of money, and all I heard was a lot of money. So really, you know, mistake I made was really downsizing my dream. Uh, instead of going and do it exactly the way I, I wanted to do it. Yeah, and that was one thing uh, that I talked to David about was when I started, I had set aside probably about a third of what we sold the house for, for just my business. <clears throat> and uh, when I started, I wish I would have just gone all in. You know, like obviously I had all this money set aside for the business itself. I wish I would have just taken it all, invested it fully, <clears throat> sprinted, you know, because I, I held on to too much money at the beginning because I thought for some reason, like I would have $20,000 sitting in the checking account. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I had six guns, six handguns on the counter. And it's like, dude, I could have taken that 20 grand, yep. turned that 20 grand into a hundred. Yep. And I, I mean, I'd be so different than where we are at today. And I mean, we were obviously doing extremely well today and we just hit our two year mark. But if I'd have taken it all and just jumped, you know what I mean? Just just screw the life jacket, jump in, invest in yourself. In. Go. Go. I just get after it. You know, I'd, I'd be in a vastly different boat than we are in now, even though the boat that we're in is really nice. It would be so much nicer and have a lot more cushion, if you will, you know, if I just fully invested. But that's one thing that, you know, a lot of budding entrepreneurs struggle with is the, the decisions that hindered them at the very beginning. It's like, man, like I, I don't want to spend the money on this. I can half-ass this. I can fake it until we make it to this. And if you just dive in, take all of your startup money, fully invested in both of yourself and the business, you're going to be in a vastly different place in two years than you would be today. And I wish that's something that I could have told myself two and a half years ago. Like Keenan, spend <clears throat> the money. Spend the money, invest in yourself, invest in the business. And that's something that I guess just nobody really told me. And I wish, I wish if there's one piece of advice, I wish I would have either given myself or been taught in college. It's that you got, you got to spend money to make the to money. Make money. Right? right. And that's something that so many people really don't talk about is, uh, your, your, you are your business's biggest obstacle is and the decisions that you make can hinder yourself or cripple yourself but they can obviously also help you and if, if you would have just taken the time the money the effort invested and fully vested yourself i mean you, i'd be i'd be taken over the world here you know than we are today and that's not something that many people ever really want to talk about is because they don't want to talk about their regret and how a decision that i made is the reason why i'm struggling but i don't you know so many business owners don't want to admit that they're the reason that their business is shit. <clears throat> so, uh, but that was, that was a good point that you brought up. Definitely a good point. So we'll start uh, kind of closing up now. We're approaching the one hour mark, which I told you is what we would be. I'll try to keep it around. So we kind of talked about, you know, your initial, you know, your initial, you know, your business, uh, where you started, you obviously worked for someone else for about six months before you started to start your own business about five years in or so. You decided to call it quits due to your health. Uh, you've worked with State Farm ever since. Uh, and then you just retired, obviously, a couple of years ago. And we kind of talked about, you know, some different regrets and stuff that you have. So uh, is there anything that you kind of want to close on, talk about, or anything like that? No, like I always tell people to, to chase your dreams. And there's going to be people out there that will encourage you. There will be people there to discourage you. 
and your dreams, but what you need, who you need to listen to the most is yourself. Listen to your heart, your dreams. I know, you know, we all have, we all have dreams and visions, uh, things that we want to do in life. And uh, if it's really in, in your heart, just chase them, go after them, find people around you uh, that can support you and help you. And I'm not talking financially. I'm talking wisdom. People that know business, again, when I go back to where I started at 19 years old, I really didn't have anyone around me with any business experience to to help guide me uh, on, on where I need to go or how I need to uh, you know, process my dreams. I, I really didn't, nobody. I was just a 19-year-old kid going out on a limb. Something I always wanted to do, hope one day I could do it. And I said, you know what, here's my shot. Now, with that, with that being said, step, stepping out, don't be afraid of failure because, you know, a lot of businesses fail. Uh, just things sometimes just don't go the way you planned them to do. But again, it doesn't mean the end. And listen, don't let that define you, who you are. Tomorrow's a new day and a new vision. All I'll say is just keep chasing your dreams. Awesome. Well, Dad, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Uh, <coughs> guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode eight of the podcast entitled uh, Cheap Therapy, uh, where I brought in my 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 dad, uh, who kind of talked about his entrepreneurial journey. Dad, thank you so much for for uh, for hopping on with us, um, guys. As always, we always end every episode of the podcast with uh, you know a quick little message. Obviously, something that's very near dear to my heart is the reason for the 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 title for the podcast entitled Cheap Therapy. Is not only do we talk about <clears throat> Excuse me, my, my, my sinuses are terrible. Uh, but not only do we talk about sort of, you know, entrepreneurial journeys and, and manhood and masculinity and, and problems that we face as men, um, but uh, obviously uh, psychological issues that we face as well. A lot of times as men, uh, we, we kind of sort of have to bottle up our emotions, which is the reason mostly for the podcast so you guys can listen to, to us talk about uh, problems and what we're facing and how what you're facing may not always be the worst thing in the world and how there's, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's tons of men out there who are, who are willing to, to, to talk to you and talk about your problems. So guys, if you ever are feeling so low that uh, you just really feel like the world is better off without you, I strongly advise that you call uh, the new national suicide hotline. It's simply 988. It's a simple short number, three digits, 988. You can simply call that number. It's open 24 hours a day. Uh, there's always a professional uh, on the other on the end of the line who's willing to talk to you and sort of talk you off that ledge. Guys, so as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Dad, thank you so much for hopping on. Well, thanks for inviting me. Enjoy being here. Absolutely. So, guys, without further ado, uh, this is episode eight of the podcast entitled Cheap Therapy. I got a really cool gauntlet uh, lined up for you guys for next week. I don't know if I'll, I'll schedule another episode for this week, uh, but I got a few episodes pinned up for next week for uh, – uh, a couple entrepreneurs and, and some some really cool really cool guests that I have lined up. So guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Keenan from Lateral Limits. Guys, if you have any questions about your farms or farms needs, you're more than welcome to uh, hit us up. Uh, our email address is info i n f o at laterallimits.com. Our phone number is nine seven two eight three six zero five six five. And uh, you're more than welcome to swing by the shop any day, uh, Tuesday through Saturday. We're open. We're located at 5219 Broadway Boulevard in Suite 103. That's in Garland, Texas. And uh, you can always check out our website, www.laterallimits.com. Guys, thank you so much again for listening. And as always, stay groovy.